Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com.
Amen. There's joy in the house of the Lord today.
today and we believe in your blessing, we believe in your power, and we ask for it in our lives, and we ask for it in the lives of our children, and we ask for it in the lives of our families, uh, in this church, uh, and in this nation, and every nation, that every generation would bow before you and praise you and know that you are the one true God, the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way. We lift your name high today, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The first week after Christmas break in fifth grade, my favorite teacher, Mr. Silverman, gave us an assignment of bringing in one of the presents that we got for Christmas, something that would require us to explain how it worked so that we could make a presentation to the class. Now, that particular Christmas, really all that I got for Christmas were toys and sports stuff. And not really anything that required any explanation as to how it worked. And so I was a little baffled on what I was going to do. But right before I left the house to, to go to school that day, I, I grabbed one of the presents that I got that I hadn't even cracked the seal on yet. Um, it, it, was, it was actually an electric pencil sharpener that one of my aunts gave me. Not my favorite aunt. I actually, this is the exact pencil sharpener that I got. I, I found it on the internet, which was hilarious, but th this is actually it. And so I, I studied the box right before I stood up in front of the class so that I would know how to describe and try and figure out how to make this pencil sharpener seem cool for all of the people who were watching. And so I, I looked at the box and read through it real quickly, and then I stood up and I explained that you put the batteries into the pencil sharpener, and then you take the pencil and you put it into the hole that's on the top, and you you press down firmly. I knew that because it says right here on the top, press firmly, okay? And so I'm, I can read, I got that down. And so I'm explaining that you have to press the, 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 the pencil into the hole, but it's still not a really exciting explanation of this gift that I got. And then I remembered something I'd read on the box that I, I didn't even know what it meant, but I saw on the box where it said, smoky lid. And in the midst of describing to the class how this whole pencil sharpener thing worked, I interpreted that very quickly in my mind and decided that what that meant was that when you put the pencil into the pencil sharpener, when it was done sharpening, the lid would smoke to let you know that you were done. And so I started explaining how you put this pencil in there, when it gets to where it's a really fine point, the thing starts smoking, and smoke will just billow out. Of, and man, in fifth grade, something that catches on fire on purpose and smokes, I mean, that is the coolest thing in the world. My teacher, though, recognized my potential misunderstanding and said, I think what you meant to say was that this had a, a smoky colored lid that hid the shavings that were inside. Well, that doesn't sound near as cool as a lid that smokes, you know? And so, and I didn't like being in front of the class and being told that I was wrong. And so I started into this elaborate story about how I had taken a pencil and I had put the pencil into the pencil sharpener and I had pressed down firmly and it started to sharpen. And when it got to the end, man, there was smoke that just started billowing out of this thing. And it got into the air and it started to evaporate, but it was still coming out to let me know that my pencil was done. It was a total lie, but the story was good. What I didn't anticipate was my favorite teacher, Mr. Silverman, saying, why don't you pop those batteries in and give us a demonstration? <laughs> and I had to come clean. 
But see, this is how the myths and the conspiracy theories and the scary stories that are part of our culture start to gain traction. As ridiculous as they may sound at first, they sound unusual and they sound interesting and we begin to lean into the story and the more people that start to lean into the story and the more people that start to hear the story, the the more it becomes part of the atmosphere of reality for us. Even if the story isn't really true. Now we're unpacking some scary stories that are part of our culture, that are, that, that are stories that our world um, is leaning into. And the more that our world leans into them, the more those stories become accepted as part of our reality. And, and the, the phrase, the statement that I wanna unpack for today is a statement that's been normalized in our world and in our culture, but really only in the last century of time. So just to be clear, only over the last hundred years has this phrase been something that we've heard before. Has this phrase been something that we've, that we've used in our language before, that this phrase is something that we've paid attention to before. But here's the problem, since it's only been in the last century, judging from all of us who I see in this room, it's been part of our whole life. We've never known a time and known a world that didn't use this phrase. And the phrase is simply this, when it comes to life, when it comes to constructing your life, when it comes to making decisions in your life, follow your heart. Follow your heart, because your heart won't lie. And this particular phrase that's become part of our world and part of our culture comes in a variety of forms. People use it and reuse it and change how they use it in all kinds of different ways, and it shows up in kind of the the common decisions that we make in life where we choose to follow our heart, but it also shows up in what tend to be icky decisions that we make in life. Here's one of the icky examples. Woody Allen, for those of us who remember Woody Allen when Woody Allen was super popular, Woody Allen broke up a relationship that he had with Mia Farrow that he'd had for over a decade because he decided that he wanted to marry Sun Yi, who was Mia Farrow's adopted daughter. And for the last decade or more, Woody Allen had been acting, in essence, as her stepfather. But when she turned 21, he decided to break off his decade-long relationship with Mia Farrow and marry her adopted daughter that he was treating as a stepdaughter. And if that doesn't sound icky enough, there's a lot of other icky stuff that goes along with it that I'm not gonna get into. But when an interviewer asked Woody Allen why he let all of that happen, Woody Allen contemplated the question for just a moment. And then in his very Woody Allen way, said, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. Follow your heart which shows up in these ways. You do you, just do it. Speak your truth, the heart wants what the heart wants, or be true to yourself. Be true to yourself, that's a phrase that's kind of part of our vernacular, it's part of our culture, but be true to yourself actually came to us uh, through Shakespeare. Be true to yourself goes all the way back to Hamlet. You remember Hamlet. I think probably every one of us in this room at some point in high school, we either read Hamlet or we read the Cliffs Notes to Hamlet. 
or we cheated off of somebody who read Hamlet. Okay, we, 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 we know the story. But see, within that story, there's a character who says, this above all, to thine own self be true. Do, do, do you remember who said that? Do you remember which character it was in Hamlet that said that? You're, you're going to have to go all the way back into your 10th grade brain, figure that out, and, and you're probably not going to come up with it, and that's okay. I had, had to look it up. Thank goodness for Google. Okay, Here, here's the thing. The one who said to thine own self be true was Polonius, who in the play is the fool, who's presenting all of the foolish ideas on how to live. And it was the fool in the play who said, be true to yourself. And yet now we live in a culture that is doing everything possible to mouth those words as a mantra to live by. John Mark Comer in his book, again, Live No Lies, says this about who we've become. He says, we just assume, now remember ideas are assumptions about reality, that the way to a happy, flourishing life is to follow our hearts, which we often misunderstand to be any authentic desire. He goes on to say, happiness has become about feeling good, not being good. The, be the good life has become about getting what we want, not becoming the kind of people who want truly good things. Now Paul commented about this part of us that's rattling around inside of us. In Ephesians chapter two, verse three, th this is what Paul wrote. He said, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That was the description of, uh, of how we live. That without Christ, without grace, without holding on to the worldview that our creator has, we lean into cravings and desires of our heart. We have a tendency to, to have a follow your heart kind of thinking. That if it feels good, do it. And, and since the writing of those words in scripture, so 2,000 years have gone by now, and that leaning has most of the time been the struggle that existed for mankind. And we understood that. And, and that idea, that understanding of life, really goes all the way back to a, a fourth century philosopher named St. Augustine. And it was around his thinking and around his philosophy that much of Western civilization, that's us, Western civilization has, has kind of been shaped by his thinking for the past almost 1,500 years. But here's what Augustine's view was. It was that we were created in love and we were created for love. And so the problem that's kind of going on inside of us, the problem of the human condition, isn't that we don't love it's that we love wrong things, or we love right things, but in the wrong order, because we get really confused with our priorities, and we mess everything up, and, and, and we mix them up, and we chase after unhealthy appetites in life, and when we do that, we kind of get into a mess. And we know that that battle exists, and really for about half my life, that's the battle that the culture I was in understood to be true that all of us have this battle between desires. 
that, that we have these desires where it's like, hey, I want to chase after this thing that's going to make me feel good, even though I know it might not be the best thing. And then there is the godly way that we know is the way that we should be going, and that's the battle. And again, for a good portion of my life, that was the world I lived in. But there has been a flip to the script. Because that's not the world we're in anymore. We now live, and it goes back, depending on how you want to look at it, a couple of decades, in a postmodern world. And we live in a postmodern culture. And this postmodern culture, what you recognize is that Sigmund Freud's influence is on the West, on us, and it has resulted in something different than the culture that we used to have. Now, here's the weird thing. Much of Freud's conclusions when it comes to psychiatry have been dismissed and debunked, and people don't really believe in them anymore. But the platform on which all of his conclusions were built has woven its way into our culture and where the old battle used to be, say yes to the right things, say yes to the high desires, the thing that leads you towards the better version of love, and say no to base appetites and fleshly desires and things that you know are just going to make you feel good for a moment but don't last. Freud said, the most important desire in our life was our libido, which he described not just about sex, but really about pleasure as a whole in the world. If it brings you pleasure, that's what you should be going after. And how that translates into how we think now in this culture is that the reason that you're unhappy, the reason that you don't have fulfillment in life is because there are other people out there who are telling you that you can't do stuff that your heart wants to do. And so we have become a just-do-it society. And we have become an if-it-feels-good-do-it culture. And we have become the heart-wants-what-the-heart-wants collective. And suddenly we live in a world that is not interested in truth if that truth tells you that you can't do stuff. It's not about knowing God. It's not about knowing how we can be truly good. In fact, it's not even about good and evil or right and wrong at all. Just follow your heart. And wherever your heart leads you, that's your truth. Now, if you've paid attention to the conversations and the discussions that have happened in your atmosphere over the last decade, there's some of this that sounds really familiar. Because what it is, is it's the kid in the front of the class trying to convince you that his pencil sharpener will smoke if the pencil gets all the way sharpened. He's only read half the box. He doesn't know the full truth. He's got a little bit of truth and just enough to tell an elaborate story that gets you really interested and causes all of us to lean in. But he doesn't know the truth and he doesn't like to be told that he's wrong. And we now live in a culture where we have to accept what he says. 
because it's what his heart says about truth. And therefore, we're not allowed to declare that he's wrong because it's his interpretation of truth. In our culture, in our postmodern world in which we live, there is a thinking that has drastically changed the rules of our discussions and has drastically changed the rules of our conversations. And this form of thinking, if we want to give term to it, is really a couple of different terms. It's relativism and it's humanism. And relativism is really about deconstructing truth. Relativism is all about you following your heart and you speaking your truth because at its core, relativism is, hey, let's break truth down, let's question truth, let's ask enough questions about truth that we can't find the right answer to to the point that we break truth down to where truth is not absolute at all. And there's no standard, and there's no code, and there's no rule, and therefore there's no expectations. And again, we're right back to where we were last week, where if we can kind of eliminate the authority, if we can eliminate the creator and say that the creator's not in charge, then we get to be in charge. Relativism believes that truth is relative. That truth is relative to your story. That truth is relative to you. That truth is relative to your experience. That truth is relative to your backstory. And therefore, truth is fluid. Let me put it to you this way. We live in this relativistic culture now. And the relativistic culture that we're in says that even though we know that two plus two is four, Okay, and we could even prove that by getting two of something and adding to it two of something else and laying them on a table and then counting off one, two, three, four, and we would know that two plus two equals four. And and we understand that. But in a relativistic culture, if there is no standard of truth, then I can say, no, 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 no. My heart says that two plus two equals 16 and you can't say anything against me, and you can't say anything against my conclusions because I've decided that that's my truth, and you're being offensive to me if you say something against my truth, and you say something against my idea and what I believe is true. Suddenly you are now speaking hatefully to me because I'm just following my heart, and my heart believes that that is true. That's relativism. Humanism takes it a step further and says, look, there is no God. We're all gods. And so however I think about the universe is all that matters. And it should be okay with you. Because my truth is all that matters to me. And your truth is all that matters to you. And we have to be okay with each other in the midst of that. Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just coexist? But this is the thing about truth. Truth is not relative. And truth is not up for debate. And that means that truth is at times going to be offensive to my own sensibilities. And it means that at times truth is offensive to our feels. And it sometimes means that truth is offensive to where my heart wants me to go. And truth is exclusive. 
Truth by its very nature cannot allow two opposing views to both be right. But that's not the culture we live in. We live in a culture that has elevated tolerance and has elevated tolerance to the place that it is above all things. And there is an all-out war that is taking place right now between what the facts are and what our feelings are. And the battle that's taking place is not just a political battle, and it's not just a global battle. It comes down much closer than that. The battle between facts and feelings happens within our relationships. The, fact, uh, the, the battle between facts and feelings happens in our homes. It's happening in our schools. It's happening in our community. happens in our state, in our country, and it happens globally. This battle between facts and feelings, and here's the news break on all of this. Currently, feelings are winning. But there is a standard for truth. There is a source for that truth. And truth is found in the life of, in the teachings of, and in the grace of Jesus Christ. And he made no apologies that truth is at times highly exclusive and highly offensive to where our heart wants to lead. But if it's true, then it doesn't really matter how offensive or how exclusive truth is. The most complete sermon that we have in our Bible that Jesus ever preached is called the Sermon on the Mount. It shows up in Matthew chapters five through seven. In fact, if you've got your Bible with you or you've got your phone or your tablet, I'm gonna ask that you turn there with me and just kind of pay attention to this because this is kind of interesting to see, especially in light of our culture right now. In Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, we have a complete sermon preached by Jesus. And in that sermon, here are some of the things that Jesus hits on. You can just look at the headings in your Bible and you'll see this. But he talked about hatred and he talked about generosity and adultery and prayer and divorce and fasting and keeping your, your money or keeping your word and money and revenge and judging others and vengeance and how narrow the way of truth really is. And as he talked about these topics and he talked about these subjects, you can go back and read it. It is not one of those situations where he's just bringing up a topic and saying, hey, here's something for you to, to discuss later on. He's not just bringing up a subject and saying, I just think we need to get this out in front of us. In every case, in every topic, Jesus shares absolute truth. And the absolutes that Jesus shares in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, in the Sermon on the Mount, are absolutes that our culture currently rejects. And then we get to the end of chapter seven. Starting in verse 24, Jesus lays all of this out and he says, look, after all these topics and all of these subjects, it really comes down to this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now let me very bluntly wrap all of this up. Two options. You can choose to build your life on truth. And when the storms come, and when the problems arise, and when the tragedy strikes, and when life becomes tumultuous, and notice that Jesus doesn't say, if you'll follow truth, and if you'll just follow me, you'll never have any problems, you'll never have any tragedies, you'll never have any troubles at all. No, he says they're going to come, there will be storms. And when they come, if you build your life on truth, you will weather the storm. But then there's option two, that you can build your life on lies. And when the storms come, they will eventually wipe you out. Because the shifting foundation that you have built your life on, the lies that are there, cannot withstand the storms. If you follow truth, truth is reality. See, truth is rigid and will not bend, no matter how many people are leaning into the lies and the stories of our culture. And the truth will always, always, always follow the light. Meanwhile, when we build our life on thoughts of relativism and humanism and ultimately just following after the lies that are part of our world and part of our culture, that come from the father of lies, which is how Jesus actually describes Satan. Lies are gonna lead you into darkness. Or put more succinctly and more terminally, if we will follow the light, the light will lead to higher levels of life than we ever thought possible. But if we follow the darkness, it'll lead to higher levels of death. Solomon was considered to be the richest and wisest man in the ancient world. He was a king, he was a philosopher, he was a, a poet, he was a writer, he was a songwriter. And Solomon had at his disposal all of the wealth necessary to chase after every opportunity the whims of culture allowed him. But what he says repeatedly in Proverbs is that everything that he chased after was meaningless. But I also find it interesting that repeatedly within the, the book of Proverbs, he says a very similar phrase that truly hits where we are right now. He says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. 
There are two options. In 1914, the steamship SS Monroe sank in the fog off the coast of Virginia, making a run that it had made many times before over the last decade, making that run repeatedly between Newport News and New York City. The ship actually sank because it was rammed by another vessel in the fog that the captain and the lookout never saw until it was too late. It's estimated that the ship sank in 10 to 12 minutes. 48 people lost their lives. The ship tilted to one side and started to violently roll itself to the bottom of the Atlantic. And crew members were completely disoriented as it fell. And the tragedy was made even more tragic when it was revealed that the captain started the journey knowing full well that his compass was off by as many as two degrees from, two, from true north. But instead of correcting the compass, instead of going through the process of calibrating that compass to true north, he set out with the belief that he'd made this trip before and he would just figure it out along the way. But it turns out that when it comes to navigating a ship in the fog, having a compass that is set to true north is pretty important. The father of lies wants to convince us of a story where all truth is relative. If it feels good, do it. Just follow your heart. If it's an idea that pops into your head, it's probably something you ought to give a try. But when you don't align your life with truth, you're going to end up in a place and surrounded by people who are dangerous. And the darkness that you will find yourself in is stuff you cannot handle on your own. Freud was wrong. Love is not a feeling. Love is the perfect balance between truth and grace. Do you remember the, the verse that we looked at early on in this message that, that Paul spoke in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3? Here, here's what he said. He said, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. But the story continues and says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. So where are you laying your foundation? Where are you building your house? Where are you building your life? Because there's really only two options. There's the truth, which does not bend and does not change, no matter how many people lean in to the, the lies that get told against it. 
and the other categorically sandy foundations of the lies that get spread into our culture by the father of lies that will not weather the storm and will get you lost in the fog. One way leads to darkness and destruction and death. And one way leads to life. And the choice is still yours. No matter how old you are, no matter how many lies you may have fallen for in the past, no matter how high the stack of sin may feel to you, the choice to follow truth is still yours. So don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your truth that does not bend, that does not change, that does not move with the passing stories that fly through our culture. But God, we admit that there have been lies that we have fallen for, and stories that we have followed and chased after and that we have leaned into. And God, you still have not given up on us at all. You continue to show us that the same truth that we read about in your word is the truth that has not changed, that has not bent, no matter how many stories have been told after it. And that truth was taught to us by our Lord and our Master and our Savior. And it was a truth about love. Love that would send Jesus to be among us, to walk among us, to, to suffer as we suffer. Love that would allow him in his sinlessness to be on a cross enduring excruciating pain and death only to rise from the dead so that we could be offered forgiveness and mercy and love and grace. Your true story of grace has not changed. And we thank you for that grace and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. And as we get ready to worship and praise the one who has given everything for us, maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And maybe there have been lies that you've listened to or, or maybe just lies that have confused you at times. And it needs to be today that you say yes to Jesus and that you're baptized in his name. For service, we had one who made that decision and we're working out details of baptism right now and I think that's worth a celebration right now for what's happened in his life. And maybe that's a decision that you need to make today. To say yes to Jesus, be baptized in his name and believe and follow his truth. Or, or maybe that's a decision that you've made but you need to be a part of a family, part of a community that's, that's looking to not lean into the, the, the stories of our culture but lean into the truth of our God. If you'd like to be a 
part of First Christian Church here, we'd love to have you with us. And maybe that's a decision that you need to make. And we have folks who are going to be down here in the front as we sing that are going to be here to talk with you and pray with you about those decisions. And if you have a decision to make in one of those areas, we invite you to come. But may we lift our voices in praise and worship and celebration to our King and our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. See you. 